Hi folks, a shout out this week to Sharon Pask, who did a review of the Take On Board podcast. Thanks, Sharon. She says, gender pay gap episode, very informative session with Emma Ray. Thank you. Well, thank you, Sharon, for taking the time to do a review. We love to get reviews here. And thanks to Emma for doing that episode. Second announcement for this week. This week we're hearing from Kari Hatch. And listen right through to the end of the episode where she shares resources because not only does she share some resources in the episode itself, but sent me a voice memo afterwards with some additional ones. So there's some gold in there. Radio on with the show. Hi, everyone. Today on the Take On Board podcast, we're doing something a little bit different to usual. So instead of interviewing one of these amazing women and getting their wisdom, I'm having a chat to the fabulous Dr. Dominique Hess about an application that she is making for a board role at the moment. So many of you know that I do strategy sessions with people to work through applications or work through challenges that they're having at their board. And today you get to eavesdrop on one of those sessions and pick up some of the insights from me and from Dominique and from our discussion about how to apply for a role. So in this session, we're going to be talking about the three parts of a job application, answers to questions, the covering letter, and her resume. So we'll talk about, in the answers to questions, how you actually don't need to answer them all, how you should just really focus on your strengths and just provide the information you need. No more, no less. Make the reader's job as easy as you can by not padding it out and just adding in that really key information. On the letters of application, my advice to Dominique is to really strengthen it and make it confident. Take out some of those softeners like I believe or I think. Take them out and really strengthen the confidence in that application. And finally, I talked to Dominique about my top 10 for your board resume and some of those sections and headers and how to bring that in and to really make your, your resume sparkle and stand out to the person who's reading it. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode and the slightly different format that we're doing it in. I would love to hear your feedback about this episode and I'd also love to hear about any strategy sessions you would like to hear in the future. What topics would you like explored? And maybe you'd like to be part of one of those strategy sessions. If so, send me a voice message and we'll see what we can sort out. Now, on with the show. So to start with, uh, can you just introduce yourself to our listeners? So my name's uh, Dr. Dominique Hess. I am an academic at the University of Melbourne. I have degrees in botany, engineering and architecture, and I tend to bring an interdisciplinary strategy and sort of future focus to any board work, uh, really thinking about how to approach sort of resilience and adaptation with a sustainable built environment, ecological kind of lens. And how can I be of service today? So the reason I'm talking to you today, Helia, is that I saw the advertising for the EOI for Trust for Nature that you put on your fabulous Facebook group. And I thought, mm, this is something that I possibly would be well suited for. I'm on the currently on the board of Greenfleet and we do carbon offsets by planting ecosystems. And my background being initially in ecology and ecological thinking really suits what Trust for Nature are doing. But I can also bring the human design systems thinking through engineering, and then I can also bring the sort of creativity synthesis uh, design type thinking into any role. And I thought, 
look, I'll give it a crack. It'll be uh, the first sort of position within a, a board that I am actually going for. The other two positions I've had have just come through my network. And so I thought, well, I'll speak to Helia and see what I need to do to be competitive. Oh, fantastic. Well, there's nothing I love more than a woman who's going to give it a crack for a board role. And with your experience, Dominique, I would think you're in with a really good chance. So if we treat it like a practice run where you can get some of this stuff right, then you might end up with a bonus of a board role, which is always a fantastic outcome. So just before we go into your application, can you just tell us a little bit about Trust for Nature and what it does? So my understanding from reading up on Trust for Nature is that they're an organisation that have been around for 75 odd years. And um, just note there, I might need to check that up and re-say that. Trust for Nature is one of the longest standing organisations that has been planting ecosystems, bringing nature back, healing the land, caring for country within Victoria. And I'm really excited about their approach. Um, they take land and they revegetate it, they look after it, and then they resell it with a covenant that means that that land is protected in perpetuity. And then they use those funds to buy the next block of land. And it just sounds like an incredibly worthwhile addition to the sorts of work that I already do through Greenfleet. And the other thing about Trust for Nature that I really think that I can bring is I've been working for the last 10 years in the ideas of regenerative development, how to increase adaptation and resilience within ecosystems and thinking beyond the site to how to read broader patterns. And I think that will be really important for Trust for Nature as it goes forward in our changing climate. As I understand it, you need to provide three things uh, to Trust for Nature, a resume, a cover letter and uh, a statement addressing key selection criteria. Is that right? So my understanding is there's, uh, yeah, there's three things. The last one's slightly different from my understanding. So the first one is a CV. Mm -hmm. The second one is the cover letter. And the third one is answers to very specific questions. Uh, those specific questions do address some of the criteria within the EOI process, but they also go slightly beyond the criteria in the EOI process. And each of the questions within the third section is up to 4,000 characters, which is two to three pages. Each question is... Okay. So I'm really both sorry for the people that have to read the submissions from those interested, but also thinking... I can probably summarise how I can contribute in a paragraph or two for each of right. those questions. So, Shall we start there, given we've spoken about that a little bit, because I was going to say where shall we start, but given we've kind of gone to that in a bit more detail, shall we start there? Sure. So firstly, my advice is you absolutely do not have to fill 4,000 characters. And as you have very rightly pointed out, the people who are reading this will thank you for your brevity. So the other thing I just wanted to check whether you know from the application process so far, with all of these skills, so when I'm looking through it, you know, do you have skills in conservation environment? Do you know about agribusiness? Do you know about fundraising and philanthropy? Do you know about Aboriginal and cultural heritage? I am guessing that this is essentially the skills matrix for this board and that they don't expect that somebody has all of these Yes, well, that would be my assumption that they don't have all of them. And I have had a brief look at their current board. I did try and touch base with one of the people on that board that I know. 
we haven't been able to meet up, but I will restart trying to get hold of her over the next few days. So I've looked at that and um, there is some overlap with my skills with some of the people on the board, but I think particularly that resilience, future-focused adaptation, uh, regenerative development aspect is something that's unique. Plus the work that I've been doing around modern custodianship, which is how do we bring together Indigenous ways of understanding country and modern ways, LIDAR, GPS, all of that, and how do we have a conversation together so those are the things I can think I can really bring to this position. So then my advice is for those that you don't have a depth of experience to talk about, don't. Like if you've got limited experience, say I have limited experience in this example XYZ, but don't feel you have to know all of this stuff. The idea is that the board knows all of these things. That's my guess. And if you're talking, the other thing I really loved hearing in there is that you're talking to one of the other board members. That will give you some real depth of knowledge around these things. So my punt is it's a shopping list. It's a shopping list that the board collectively needs to fulfil and not you individually. So really play to your strengths in that. If there's other bits and pieces in some of the others that you've got something to say, say that you've got limited experience, but you definitely don't need to write 4,000 words on each of them. The reviewers will definitely thank you for it. Great. That's what I was hoping to hear. Where would you like to go next, your resume or your letter? Uh, resume, please. Uh, I'm an academic and my resume has been very academic focused for the last 20 years. So just having a sense of, I, I have had a go. My normal resume is about 10 pages with all the publications listed. So I've tried to summarise that and my list of projects are split out and I've tried to summarise that. But I don't know if that's actually whether they'll want more than two pages and all of the detail or whether they'd appreciate, again, something briefer and to the point. Yeah, okay. So rule of thumb for any board or governance resume is two, maybe three pages. So first of all, well done on getting it down to two pages. That is awesome. And dare I say it, particularly for an academic resume, which are often well more than three pages. I've got a bit of a framework, for want of a better word, the standard headings that I always suggest to people that they use in their governance resumes. So how about I take you through those different sections and then we can have a bit of a chat in each of them about what you might pop in there. Wonderful. So there is 10 sections that I suggest, although the first one is just a header, just your name and contact details. So that's not too much of a difficult one. Having name, contact details, personally, I would just have mobile phone number and email. Personally, I don't include a street address anymore because no one really uses them anymore unless the role that you are seeking has a particular geographic significance and you need to show that you're from a particular geographic area. So not the, um, the various degrees? Oh, we'll come to that. So the next section that I suggest is a very brief profile summary and this should have a governance lens. So it might be, I mean, you've talked about this when you introduced yourself about your governance experience and building on your governance roles and the skills that you are seeking to bring to this role. So I would condense that down into a two, three, four sentences and have it as a profile summary with a governance lens. And would you make that section personal or third person? So currently I have Dr. Hess, blah, 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 blah. She did blah, 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 blah. She won blah, 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 blah. She wrote blah, 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 blah. Should it be more personal? Oh, Dominique, ask 10 people and you'll get 
five saying one and five saying the other or possibly four saying one, four saying the other and two saying something else entirely. In my resume, I say I. On my LinkedIn, I say Helia. So even I have a bit of a mix in amongst my own things. I don't think there is a firm rule of thumb around this. I think whatever makes you feel comfortable. Great. So after the profile summary with that governance lens, then move into your non-executive director and governance roles. So you want that upfront, in their face about your governance experience. You're already on the board of Greenfleet. I think you've had other board roles as well, yeah? That's right. I was a founding member of the Living Futures Institute of Australia, where I served for three and a half years. Right. Okay. So put your Greenfleet roles, put the Living Futures Institute roles on there and have that with a separate heading, governance experience. It's separate to your employment experience because you really want to pull that up. Include in there any committees that you are on for those boards and in particular any committees that you chair for those boards. Okay. And is there any other governance experience that you can draw on from longer ago that you might be able to pull in there? Any other committees you've been involved in? Is there any other, yeah, any other governance experience you can draw on? So I, I've been director of a research centre and director of the current place agency, um, which is a two and a half year project across five universities, but they're not a non-exec. Executive director roles, not non-executive director roles. That's correct. And, and they're, they're quite small organisations, so I don't, I don't want to make it sound bigger than it actually is. That's fine. I would then leave those ones in your employment experience. For Greenfleet, which committees have you been on? So I'm on the Revegetation Committee and I have been since the start and our main focus is looking at, you know, how do we improve practice, how do we improve how we deal with land and supporting those staff within Greenfleet that need to respond to issues. So we, for example, looked at drones and um, how we could use drones to better monitor sites. We've looked at um, improving the practice. You know, currently we use plastic things around trees to protect them when they're young. Most of those end up in the streams as the wind blows them away. And so can we do something better? Can we do something better around pest control and weed control? And so that's the sorts of things that we do, very practical. In this governance section of your resume, I would list the boards, list the committees that you are on, and then maybe just one or two achievements. Now, if it's around this revegetation working committee, or if it's around, you know, I can see from what you've written here that you're leading the development of strategic research framework, Indigenous issues being discussed at board, just choose two or three achievements to highlight there and make sure it's focusing on that governance lens. So having something that is around the strategic direction of the organisation or the risk in the organisation. So, for example, if you're talking about the Revegetation Working Committee, I would really make sure you're focusing on the governance issues around that as one of the achievements. Uh, Thanks, Elia, for the feedback on my CV. I've really changed the order of around. And um, under the governance experience, I'll talk about the two things that I've introduced into the Greenfleet Board, which is a research framework and how to bring ideas of country from Indigenous custodians into our mindfulness whenever we have a meeting. But what I'll focus on is on the governance and risk aspects. And what I will try and do is be brief with that because I think I can pick those up in the answers to the questions. I think that's a great idea. Although do remember that 
repeating yourself between your answers to your questions and your resume and your covering letter, feel free to do that because, you know, sometimes people don't read all of the documents. So mentioning it between all three of them isn't necessarily a problem because they might read your letter but not your answers or they might read your answers but not your resume. So feel free to repeat but I I think that's a great idea to keep them brief. Yes, no, I felt that when I'd finished writing the cover letter and the CV, when I was answering the questions, I was like, oh, well, I kind of did that there, but okay, I'll expand a little bit more in the questions. Perfect. Great. All right. So the fourth section that I always suggest is just a bit of a list, a short list of your key skills and attributes, again, with a governance lens that suit this role. And again, when you introduced yourself before, you listed off a number of things that would be perfect. So just highlighting those real strengths that you have for this role in maybe three or four dot points with just a line for each of them. The next part that I suggest to people is a career summary, your employment summary, your career summary, and you've already outlined that beautifully. So you've got your employment experience here in reverse chronological order with the roles that you've had. Because this is a governance role, not a professional role, the way you've outlined it on your resume at the moment, which is basically just naming the roles and the years you've had it, I think is perfect. Now, the next part, and this is just some reordering, I then suggest after your governance summary, the key skills and attributes, and then your career summary, then I would put in your education and qualifications. So moving them down your resume from your current one a little bit. And I do that because you know, for this type of role, they kind of just expect that there will be some there. So you pop them in there. You don't need to highlight them so much. You just need to show people you've got them. And uh, do you think that I need to split the qualifications with the secondary qualifications or should I bring the Governance Institute training that I'm about to do into the qualifications and don't worry about teaching specific stuff? I would definitely just have one heading. So qualifications, I would actually put your Governance Institute at the top your cert for in teaching and learning and your other accreditations there if you think they are specifically relevant to this role I would include them if you don't I would dump them yep good dumped done now the next section that I suggest is around memberships so there might be memberships of some organizations that are particularly relevant to governance or particularly relevant to this role that you might like to highlight is there anything you can think of there I'm a member of the AICD, but that's the only one. Otherwise, I'm a member of the Air Conditioning Industry Association and a member of the Institute for Living Futures Australia, which we set up. So (laughs) those are less relevant. Well, the Air Conditioning Association, does that have any direct impact in this role? I doubt it. But the Institute for Living Futures, I'm guessing, might. Yeah, they might. So I would list the definitely the Institute of Company Directors. That is a classic one to list in there and the Institute for Living Futures because, again, whilst you set up the role, don't assume that everybody has read all of your resume or all of your other documentation. So they may not have noticed that that you have set up the organisation but they may notice that you're a member. So I think it is worth mentioning it even though you've got different roles in each of those. Great. The next section that I suggest is around any awards or presentations that you have or have made. My punt is you will have a number of presentations that you will have made and quite potentially some awards in there as well. Or publications, actually, which again, I'm sure you will have a number of them. So given you will have a number, it's really drawing out those that are most relevant to this role. 
Yes, I, I won a national award, a Bob Brown Penny Green um, Award Perfect. for Sustainable Practitioner and um, a bunch of teaching awards, which are less relevant. I have published six books and, you know, 100 or so papers, chapters, etc. Oh, only 100 papers, Dominic? Come on. <laughs> That's part of the life of an academic. How useful those are is another question. Uh, one of the books, Designing for Hope, did receive an international award, which is also a nice recognition. And, and that book specifically talks around the things that I can bring to this, this role. It really talks about that adaptation, resilience, uh, future thinking and so forth. So I'm pretty yeah. proud of that one. Absolutely. So they are exactly the sorts of things that you would want to include there. Yeah, some of those awards, some of the presentations, you might then just want to put a line in saying a full list of publications is available at and I'm not sure if it would be, you know, whether it's your university profile or a LinkedIn profile or something along those lines that lists them all out. So the ninth area that I recommend to people, and this also is contentious in some circles, but is a personal section. Again, normally just a couple of lines or a couple of dot points around some of the things that you're interested in a personal way. Some people will argue vehemently that this is a professional resume and you shouldn't put that in there. My view is I like when I'm looking at a pile of resumes to know a little bit about the whole person. So I like it. So things that are on mine are things like um, bushwalking, traveling, you know, that I've done things like, you know, walked Kokoda and done the Murray River Marathon, things that kind of people might relate to. There might be some things in there that you like, might like to pop in. Any thoughts? I was thinking family. <laughs> I'm about to go kayaking around Hinchinbrook Island uh, in August. So that's something that I'm very much looking forward to. I do love being out in nature, camping, kayaking and bushwalking, as you said. I love cycling. I love reading and um, tend to be involved in community activities and supporting communities. Fantastic. So again, it's a personal thing. Some people think it's not a good idea. I think it is a good idea putting down some of those activities like your cycling and your bushwalking and your community activities. I think it just gives life to it. And often when people are sitting down with a hundred resumes and plowing through them all, anything that just makes them go, oh, I think is a good thing. So I would recommend to do so. Great. And number 10? Number 10. It's like the top 10. Number 10 is just referees. Again, my recommendation is just referees available on request. However, if there are particular referees that you think will really stand out in a crowd and they are happy to be popped on the resume early, then you might want to put them on. Can I just mention in there governance referees? So for example, are you the chair of the board at Greenfleet? No. Right. So ideally the chair of the board at Greenfleet maybe the chair of the board at the Institute for Living Futures, or it might be the chair of a committee at Greenfleet that you're on, but governance referees are what you're looking for there. Okay. Hadn't thought of that. <laughs> Some of the sections that I haven't mentioned, what, what have you got for me? So I, I have a funding attracted because one of the categories within their questions is philanthropy. So I have just done a summary so over my career or at least the last 13 years at Melbourne University I've brought in almost three million dollars from various sources so um, again if they want the list of exact projects they can request it but I just thought that would address one of the things that they're looking for. Yeah it's a great one I actually wonder this is being a little 
tricky on it, but I, I wonder whether you put that under your governance section as an achievement in that fundraising is often a something that the boards are looking for and it is particularly in this one it's something that they have asked for so under your governance section as you list your your roles and have maybe a couple of achievements I would think about popping it in there done Uh, I'm doing this while you're speaking so and then the other thing is I listed the experience in government and environmental teams uh, specific projects that I have done with federal state and local governments thinking that that aspect might be useful, particularly as potentially we're collaborating across state boundaries or and so forth with land because caring for country doesn't know where the boundary is between New South Wales and Victoria. Yeah. <laughs> it's like rivers. They just don't know where the borders are. That's right. That's right. And so I, I thought that might be useful. Again, that potentially could go under the achievements. Now that I think of it, not that first section around governance, The next section around key skills, key skills and attributes, I would put both of them in there, your philanthropy achievements and your, however you want to call it, cross-government collaboration or government stakeholder management or whatever it is, however you want to pull that together, maybe pop that under one of your key skills and attributes in that fourth section because if that's something they're looking for and that is something you've got a strength in, that is this is the game of mix and match, that's exactly what you want to highlight for them. Okay. And so I also had a section around um, ability to collaborate and work with diverse stakeholders. So I think that should also then go under skills. Yes, definitely. Definitely. I think for me, I like that section being around skills and experience and attributes. So it's kind of that mix of, I don't really like the terminology about hard skills, soft skills, but People know what they mean, but I think that that section is a mixture of those two things, the hard skills and the soft skills that are going to make you an awesome director and awesome part of the board of this organisation. Great, great. Yep, no, good one. I'm not that comfortable with hard and soft skills anyway. I'm one person and they kind of bleed into each other. So I will will just uh, stick to the specifics of what those skills are. Um, The next section I had was the various books that I'd written. Mm. Rather than, um, you know, just say six books, actually giving some details behind it, but that might just be the the recovering academic from of my <laughs> the recovering <laughs> academic that I am. <laughs> Look again, I would pull out the key ones that you have in that section around awards, presentations, publications. I would pull out the key ones that are relevant for this area, and then have a a link that goes across to you know look here for my full list. Great. And then I had awards, which we've discussed already. Fantastic. That's the CV done. And then the trick is, of course, still maintaining that two pages. The other thing that I would say is have a look online for some templates for resumes. There are some fantastic ones on there and they just make it look a little bit snazzy. And not that your current one doesn't look absolutely beautifully neat and lovely, but perhaps a little bit more snazziness might also be a good thing and it just makes it's it stand functional. out in the crowd. <laughs> exactly. It is beautifully functional and I would like to see a little bit more sparkle. <laughs> <laughs> Magic. Exactly. Like remember, and look, you will have done this a million times before, no doubt. You will have sat down with that pile of 100 resumes and, you know, there may well be 100 resumes for this role. And you will have sat down with that pile before and you know that after 10, let alone 20, 30, 40, 50, they all start to merge into one. 
So you, you want to be able to stand out in a crowd. Do you um, put photo? Oh, great question. Personally, no, I don't put a photo, mostly because I think everyone these days goes to LinkedIn and there's a photo on LinkedIn. The space is precious. Yeah, and I certainly don't think you will be penalised for not having a photo. So, again, I normally say to people, whatever you are most comfortable with personally, if you would like to put a photo up, go for gold. If you don't, that's fine and dandy. You're not going to be penalised, I think, either way. Great. Fabulous. So anything else on your resume that might be of help? Uh, No, that's it. Uh, I will need to do two things. I will rewrite it based on those 10 points and then I will set up somewhere where everything can be reached online. I think LinkedIn's got a few things, but then the academics have a separate database where all the publications and money and so forth go. So um, I may need to integrate those into one space. So I'll have to look at what that looks like. You can put documents in your LinkedIn profile. You can obviously also put links to other sites. So I would make sure they talk to each other. My punt is people are much more likely to look at your LinkedIn than the academic site for this type of role. So if you can include the link to your academic site in your LinkedIn, I think that's probably the better way to go. How much do you feel that um, the network that you have is important to a role such as this? Because I have an extensive network of colleagues around Australia internationally. Is that something that goes under the skills and experience? Yeah, actually, I think it is an extensive network, you know, locally and internationally. I would put that under skills, experience, attributes, whatever it may be. It it is part of your value add. And I would reference it in your letter as well, or the answers to the questions or all of the above, depending on where it falls most neatly. But I think it is worthwhile. I loved hearing that you've reached out to somebody who's already on this board. I think it is worth looking kind of broadly at that if you if there are other people involved in the organization and getting some feedback from people around the organization will also help to frame some of this stuff so if there are other people that have worked there either former board members maybe that might be able to give you some insight there might be funders who have been involved in the organization that might be able to give you some insight I think it's really worth drawing on that amazing network of people that you have and drawing on them to get as much insight into the organization that will help you really Uh, tailor this application to what they need. I think it's due in about two weeks, so it will be what I can... As much as is possible. And even once the application is in, if and when you get called in for interview, that is another key time to start drawing on those networks for some of those. Now we can Um, do another podcast then. Yes, it can be around interviews, absolutely. And then it can be around your first board role and your induction. (laughs) But I think really drawing on on some of those networks, I remember going to an interview uh, some years ago now and... They started with their standard questions, basically, and I'm like, right, well, you know, I've spoken to your alumni, I've spoken to your funders, I've spoken to former board members, I've spoken to current and former staff members and some other stakeholders, and what they tell me is your challenges are blah, blah, and blah, so I want you to tell me what the board has done to face them, and they just kind of looked at me with a only slight twinge of terror in their eyes about some of the questions that I was asking them because I'd done the research. I'd really done the research. So it's well worth doing if you're able to do. Yeah, absolutely. I am a complete believer in that the interview goes both ways. Yes. You are interviewing them just as much as they are interviewing you. All right. Shall we turn to your letter? I've got just a little bit of feedback there. It's not so much about content. I think once you've popped your resume in order and then done some cut and paste between the questions that you need to respond to and the letter. 
you'll be able to work out what the right kind of level is around that. The thing that I picked up when I had a read through your letter is there are some what I call softeners. So your very first line, I believe I will be a great addition to this board. You know, well, I'm sure you do believe it and I believe it as well, but take the believe out. I will be a great addition to this board. You see, my husband's gone through this and he's already taken off (laughs) a bunch of words like that. (laughs) Yay, well done, husband. It's such a habit to always kind of soften. Yes. And not be too warrior-like in these sorts of things. Yes. So be very confident and assertive in this. So, of course, you believe it, but it's, well, A, it's superfluous words and B, it softens it. And you don't want to be softened. You want to be confident. You don't want to be arrogant, but you definitely want to be confident. And taking those words out just makes it sound a little bit stronger. That's my primary feedback to you in this one. There is a number of softeners. It sounds like most of them have probably already been taken out by your husband, which is fantastic. Well done, him. And be very confident in the way you present. And like I said before, in your letter, the answers to the questions in your resume, absolutely do not be afraid to repeat yourself because some people won't read the other. The only other thing I would say in your letter is consider, I'm not firmly because it's not a hugely long letter, which is a good thing, but consider maybe some subheadings. For example, there's a paragraph there where you've talked about in responding to setting the strategic direction for Trust for Nature. Maybe make that a subheading. The next part is around budget process and evaluation of performance. Maybe make that a subheading. It just makes it a little bit easier to read. And again, when they've got 100 of these resumes and letters sitting in front of them, you want to make it as scannable as possible because they will not read the whole thing. They will definitely not read it word for word. They will scan it. So if you can make some things stand out, that will really help to grab their attention. Okay, great. Great suggestion. Is there anything else in terms of the application that I might be able to help you with today? It's it's the first time that I am doing one of these types of applications and anyone else who's considering doing it, every time I did one step, I found that there were a whole bunch of other steps to go through. So I hadn't expected the questions. I thought it was just the CV and the letter. And suddenly here were all these questions that wanted 4,000 characters per question. So that made me go gulp there for a minute when I thought I was done. A big suggestion, start early. And even if you don't answer everything and just put dot, 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 just walk yourself through the whole process. It is fabulous advice, Dominique, because for those that are listening, this is a Victorian government role board. They have a standard website where they do lots of their applications. And this commonly happens. You think you've got to the end of the application process, you hit next, and all of a sudden there's 10 more questions. So I agree wholeheartedly. Just put an X in each box, flick through so you know exactly what questions need to be answered and leave yourself plenty of time to do it. It is fabulous advice. And also I I started a separate document where I just listed the questions and started working on the questions because just doing it online meant that A, I couldn't check and sort of look at the typos and things like that, but also it was hard to lose sight of repetition and so forth. So just having a separate document where you put all of the questions, then answer them, and then putting those answers back into the document, I think will be a good way of going forward. Having said that, you do need to be careful with cutting and pasting. So I maybe have to report back on that uh, (laughs) next chat. Absolutely, when we're talking about your interview. But I think it is great advice. I, I always like to recommend to people to have a master copy, for want of a better word, of your shopping list of achievements and so on, and then to 
shop from that list about what you want to draw out for the answers to your letter, whatever it may be. So, yeah, it's a, it's a great suggestion. Great. Yeah. And a suggestion back from you to me. Yes, because I currently have four CVs on the go. But if I had a master CV, then I could just draw from that what I needed. So thank you for that. Yes, absolutely. So then in thinking about the conversation that we've had around the application process, around your resumes, around the answers to the questions and your cover letter, just as we're wrapping it, I'm wondering what's your fresh thinking following our conversation? So the CV will look a lot different to what I had it. So there is some great thinking around that. So that that will be my main take home. What's been great is just talking through the questions within the EOI and having that realisation that I don't need to answer every question and that's fine because it's a shopping list and I should really just focus on the things that I can contribute to this role. We've already listed some of them, but what are your actions following this conversation? So I've been making notes while you've been speaking, so I will be revisiting the CV. I will be uh, taking out the softeners in the letter and I will be going back to the questions that they've asked for and really thinking around how to bring a stronger governance narrative within those questions and also to still continue to be brief but with backup examples. Fantastic. And you've used it a lot, but don't be afraid of the good old dot point to do some of those things. Okay, that's good. That's good. We tend to avoid dot points in academia, so it's good to have that reinforced. It makes it, it just makes it easier for people scanning because, again, I mean, I don't want to... I don't want to cast aspersions on the people that might be reading these resumes, but I would. I, I think it's better to bank on a shorter amount of time being given to each one than a longer amount of time. And then if they get a longer amount of time, that's a bonus. And as you said, I've gone through hundreds of other people's CVs, so I, I do know how the uh, scanning works. Yes, absolutely. When do applications close, Dominique? I know you said this just a moment ago, but when do they close? Uh, in about two weeks. It's, it's early August. I'd have to double check the date exactly. So know the other thing that you need to know about government roles, unless there is a, they've already publicised the timeline for this, it may well take quite some time for feedback. Don't panic. Uh, I know for, for example, as some know, I'm on the board of the Royal Women's Hospital here in Melbourne and the application process when I first applied for it back in whatever year it was, 2016, I think I applied in November and I think I was interviewed probably, I can't quite remember, maybe May or June the following year, so a good six months later and wasn't actually appointed until October. So it was almost 12 months. Now, that was a longer period than is usually the case. Uh, however, yeah, don't panic if you haven't heard for some time. Alrighty, I won't. Thanks for that. <laughs> but do let me know because I would love to have this conversation again around interviews. You know, you've got so much that you can contribute. You've got governance experience. You've got subject matter expertise that could really help this organisation. So I'm very happy to look at a final copy of your application and I would hope that as it sits there in that pile of 100 resumes and applications that somebody is flicking through them and going oh would you have a look at this one this person looks fantastic great thank you so much i look forward to seeing this process it really is um, the first steps on this journey and um, i'm loving it fantastic that's a wrap for the take on board podcast today i'm passionate about achieving gender equity on boards that's why i love to showcase all these fabulous women on this podcast it's also why I created my group programs. 
Board Kickstarter to prepare women for board roles and Board Accelerator to support women once they're on a board. I also work one-on-one with clients. We can do a strategy session, just like the one you've just listened to, or you can have a VIP day with me. We could work on getting you ready to apply for a board role, or it could be a governance challenge and you need a trusted advisor to toss around ways to make progress. If this is something you need, either one of my group programs or working with me one-on-one, get in touch. There's nothing I love more than spending time with good women talking governance. We can do it face-to-face if you're here in Melbourne or via Zoom if you're elsewhere. There's a link to find me in the show notes. Thanks again for listening and tune in next week to hear another fabulous woman share her governance wisdom.